name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am solo hosting for this particular episode, the Tour of Scion. We may rename it, I don't think the Tour of Scion, the Scion World Tour, that makes it sound like we're going to be visiting different countries, and uh, we aren't living that jet-set lifestyle, there's still a pandemic on, goddammit. God's damn it, I should say. Indeed. But, ah, ah, you may have just heard the voice of my guest, who won't be any mystery to you, listeners, because if you're a frequent listener of the Onyx Pathcast, you will know this person very well, and that person is Hiromi Kota. Uh, hello, Hiromi. Greetings. From all the way, pretty much on the other side of the world to where I am. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, how is the Pacific Coast? Um, the Pacific Coast is having uh, a fair amount of confusion over what season it is, uh, but uh, that's almost normal for this time of year. Uh, I mean, aside from like weird stuff because of uh, climate change, but yeah, it's a hell of a time to live, isn't it? We got war, we got climate change, we got pandemics. Uh, you may be able to take any of these as auspices as omens, as bad auguries of things to come, or, well, maybe not of things to come, things happening right now. And uh, we'll actually talk a little, maybe, about how the world of Scion can reflect such things, not in a trivial way, uh, but mm -hmm. that is a game where things like omens and prophecies are very much a, a factor of day-to-day -day life. Uh, one of the big questions in Scion, and I suppose one of the first things I'm going to muse with you, Hiromi, because we're going to talk about mm -hmm. the different books for Scion, some of the concepts at play, some of the projects you've worked on specifically, but I want to talk about setting, first of all, and some of the ways that Scion 2nd Edition differs from 1st. One of the major ways is the more overt nature of scions and gods in second edition and the way that interlaces with the world we know both historic and future underworlds our the world overworlds as well how do you as a developer and as a story guide because i know you've run a good quantity of scion and are doing so right now on on the onyx path twitch mm -hmm. make that hang together make a an urban fantasy world, essentially, hold up to scrutiny? Uh, so the interesting thing uh, with Scion that I think a lot of other urban fantasy games don't get to have the sort of double-sided sword of because it's, because it's so deeply focused on myth and legend and uh, folktale and I'll, I'll disambiguate those in, in a sec. Uh, but like because it's so focused on those, you don't have to be an expert on what's in the Scion books. You, you don't even have to necessarily be an expert in uh, the cultures uh, present from the gods. Uh, it certainly helps uh, if you have a lot of knowledge in those topics. Uh, but these are stories that have permeated through every culture in the world like you cannot find a place in the world that has been untouched by stories like these yeah and because of that 
these stories will end up resonating with you. And it's just sort of a a matter of finding the pieces that uh, work for you and your group, because that means that you have the opportunity to just sort of go, okay, these stories that have been sort of background radiation, uh, like the sort of uh, elements that you've just sort of like grown up in without necessarily having studied, mm-hmm. those can come to the fore and those things that you knew but didn't know that you knew, uh, that can just happen in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and there's kind of three ways that, that ends up working. Um, at least three ways that I like to work it. Uh, and I might be getting uh, ahead of myself, but uh, eh. <laughs> no, 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 please, please, please go ahead. Uh, what, how, what three ways do you, uh, do you approach this concept? So with this specifically, uh, I'm, I'm talking about like engaging with uh, stories and I'm using stories in kind of a blanket term because any folklorists, uh, amateur or professional who are listening will just sort of like tear their hair out or, you know, get a wig and then tear that off. Uh, <laughs> if they hear me just sort of like me- merging myth and legend and folklore and folktale and fairy tales, because like within the concept of folkloric studies, those are all different things, but like in Scion, they're not necessarily. So this encompasses everything from the origins of a people uh, as put down on paper or orally told Mm -hmm. uh, parables, um, you know, moral stories, um, sweeping epics of great adventure, all of that uh, sort of confined to, well, a rather broad bracket. Yeah, and I guess to like actually uh, <laughs> unpack the terms, just because like I I've teased them twice at this point, so people might actually want to know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, like on a technical level, myths are tales of gods. Like these are things that are often foundational parts of religion. Um, these these include things. Uh, like creation uh, stories, uh, which aren't necessarily about God. Sometimes they're about primordials. Sometimes they're about uh, things that don't necessarily have um, sentience or will in the way that we think about it. But like, these are things that are like myths are things that are big uh, beyond humans uh, often don't involve humans except in the abstract. Uh, legends are tales of heroes. Uh, sometimes they're part of religion. Uh, they can certainly, they certainly influence culture by a great bit, a great bit. Uh, like, um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, probably two of the more famous, uh, examples, yeah. uh, like they, they were written as epic poems, but they definitely fit, uh, the niche of legends, uh, especially like looking back on the thing folk tales are kind of things that involve people regular people um some of them can be uh more than regular uh so like um damn it i'm trying to think of non-us examples but 
I'm tired, so. Well, no, no, feel free. Uh, you, you Use some US examples. Things like uh, Johnny Appleseed, okay. uh, who was like an actual person who got a bunch of fruit and just sort of like ended up populating great swaths of uh, the US with orchards. Uh, whether or not he was right to do so or even a good person is historically debatable. Uh, but the folk tales paint him in a pretty uh, uh, positive light. Hmm. Um, and in the West, uh, there's the concept of fairy tales, which are often folk tales with a heavier uh, supernatural element, uh, which is why they're fairy tales, because they involve uh, fairies or creatures like that. Um, and not all cultures actually make the distinction between folk tales and fairy tales. Like Japan doesn't really have fairies. Uh, <laughs> like there, there are supernatural creatures, but like fairies aren't really a thing. Yeah. Uh, or at least they weren't until <laughs> uh, uh, Western culture started coming in. And now you can probably find uh, elves and whatever, uh, wherever you want. There's tons of supernatural tales uh, and lots of these things are happening to regular people. Um, like uh, Momotaro uh, is just like uh, a, a boy born out of a peach who goes and gathers a dog, a monkey, and a rooster, and then just obliterates an island of oni, of uh, ogres. Uh, and so it's like, it's not a normal thing, but like, was a kid and um it was sort of like a wish fulfillment of his uh, uh elderly parents to finally have a son and like it's a folk tale it's a fairy tale and in many ways trying to uh fit non-western tales into what whatever the distinction between folk tale and fairy tale is is non-productive because other cultures don't necessarily break that down. Like sometimes supernatural shit just happens. And if you're a regular human, uh, you know, be, be smart and be nice. But uh, if uh, you need to remember the name Rumpelstiltskin, then you should totally do it and screw that dude over if you have to. <laughs> well, it's a lot easier if you overhear him singing it. It's true. The, so, so with, with this, uh, well, sheer expanse of, as you say, we've got myths, we've got legends, we've got folk tales, uh, we've got fairy tales. There are, of course, folk horror stories that sometimes are as short as 15 seconds. The mm -hmm. Bloody Mary example, I guess, uh, is all of these can interlace with your Scion games. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess, in a sense, should, because it's a multicultural world. Mm-hmm. And do you see, I guess, any obstacle to having some of those, uh, uh, what feels like a, a purely uh, Japanese historical mythos, uh, using any of that kind of material to populate uh, mythology in a city in let's say i don't know france or germany or britain um do you think that scion is such a i know it's a oft used term a melting pot that you can transplant myths or 
it's the way you envision it, is there still a localized geography to this kind of thing? There's certainly an amount of geography. Uh, however, especially with how the world, capital T, capital W, yeah. uh, mirrors our world, there's a lot less of the importance of uh, geography uh, than there has been. Uh, the essential reason for that is because there's cultural diaspora everywhere. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm i the product of multiple diasporic <laughs> groups. Uh, and, like, it's it's very difficult to say that, like, you couldn't have um, a Persian uh, living in uh, Chile or uh, a Sami um, living well anywhere anywhere in Finland. I'm trying to think where would be where would a weird place for a Sami to live? South uh, Africa. It's uh, pretty much the polar, almost literally the polar opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, like. Uh, we we don't have uh, Sami representation uh, in Sion uh, yet, but like there could very easily be uh, a Sion of uh, uh, the the Sami in Johannesburg or Soweto. There we go. That that would be a more fun place uh, for. It, there would be a more fun place in uh, South Africa. Mm for a uh, scion of uh, the Sami people's pantheon to uh, sort of awaken in. And I think that coincidentally, like actually coincidentally, I did not plan that, uh, is a decent segue into a thing that I want to tease for Scion God, Ooh, yes. uh, which has just uh, entered development. Uh, so please go ahead. In previous books, so like in uh, Origin, Hero, and Demigod, Demigod, which should uh, be going to backers in at least like the uh, sort of uh, fun version, uh, we all have been kind of playing a little loose with the terms incarnate and incarnation, mm -hmm. and we're stopping that. <laughs> uh, incarnates specifically are... Gods who have created uh, mortals, uh, they have created like a piece of themselves that is a scion. Like these, these are player characters, or at least um, characters who could have been a player's character. And the idea is that like these, uh, these beings, you can sort of or rather gods can kind of just create these and then just let them have have their own life it is a way for gods to influence the world mm -hmm. uh without having to micromanage it incarnations are deliberately temporary these are uh things where the gods are like okay gonna take some of my some of my legend to create an incarnation who will go to earth as a hero tier scion or hero tier scion analog mm. in order to do stuff on uh the world for my benefit and here here's the fun bit well it's all fun 
Uh, but in this case, the fun bit is that if you're playing as a god, you can create an incarnation because you have all of the power in the world. Um, you're not the only one with all the power in the world, so don't don't let it go to your head. But if you're like, you know what? I don't like how this aspect of the world is working right now. I want to have an amount of control over it. So you create an incarnation. You send uh, them off to do your will. And theoretically, you get that legend back uh, after the incarnation sort of uh, pops back. Yeah. Um, but that that may or may not happen. And uh, if it doesn't happen, there's all kinds of weird things that can happen because of it. So, so get, getting into the god trenches a little right now, and on the subject of incarnations, is the incarnation purely a, I guess, a manifestation and under the control of that god's will, or are they an independent entity? Bit of both, um, and we are there's a little wiggle room for what uh, uh how people want it to work at their table mm -hmm. my sort of uh permanent headcanon in that regard it it's weird me being in charge of the line and having headcanon because like i want to set some things uh deliberately and other things i prefer the way that they work to me but i want to leave space for people to have their own their own flavor of fun oh yeah well it's good good to let the story guides have their take on it and not not feel too constrained mm -hmm. but yes what what's your head canon then yeah my yeah my head canon in this regard is that incarnations have their own life their own their own will their own sentience and they have a sort of telepathic connection to the god mm. it's can go both ways but they both sort of have to uh cooperate for that to happen and just because the connection is there doesn't mean that the god is watching like they're a god they're presumably looking at hundreds of things so actually fixing their attention to this one thing is very difficult yeah so if you shoot an incarnate in the face i'm sorry if you shoot an incarnation in the face <laughs> uh the, the problems have already started <laughs> if you shoot an incarnation in the face and the god was watching you are fucked yeah if the god wasn't watching you probably will be fucked but you have negotiation space and you have um room to try to try to get yourself out of it yeah, run to your own god for protection, I imagine. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I, I quite like the idea, and, and this is uh, my my uh, imagination running off with me, of the idea of an incarnation growing comfortable enough outside of the origin god's skin that mm -hmm. they don't particularly want to return home and may end up even challenging the god from from whence they emerged yep that that is in fact that is a hundred percent a thing that can happen yeah uh and in that case the incarnation effectively becomes an incarnate mm. uh and if they want to they can they can start uh challenging the god for mantles and eventually just 
undergo apotheosis and just kick their old boss body yeah. both and just like just kick him out <laughs> i mean yeah this is a sort of tired old odin thing being replaced by a young fresh odin it's uh that there is precedent for this kind of thing in mm-hmm. mythology uh so ooh, that, that's 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 very tasty i like that uh, but, but before before we carry on down the god channel uh, because this isn't exclusively about God, and I'm sure as we get closer to the release of that book, we're going to have an interview about it and all kinds of deep dives. Uh, let, let's let's go back, back, back to to origin and hero. And mm-hmm. in fact, let's go back, Hiromi, to your, I guess, approach to Sion. Uh, when did you first play or run or interact with Sion? Was it all the way back in first edition, or did you first encounter it with second? I first I first played uh, first edition uh, with Hero, and I broke the game in character creation. That, that <laughs> happens, I hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make a messenger god Scion. I just wanted to go fast. I just wanted to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, not uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, I, I that, that's your problem. Uh, uh, yeah, I I ended up with like twenty five defense dice, and if yeah. I got when my character got ambushed. It increased. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a few games. You know, I've uh, to just go on a brief tangent. Uh, I know far far be it from me to do that on this podcast. The 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 tendency for role playing games that handle what are ostensibly superpowers uh, to break when you apply super speed. Mm-hmm. Is is stunning. You know, it has happened since time immemorial, since DC Heroes was published by Mayfair Games, uh, <laughs> all the way through to Godlike uh, with your hyper reflexes or hyper dexterity or what have you, all the way through to Scion First Edition. But I, I feel we've we've handled that better for Second Ed. Yes. I mean, some people may mourn the fact that they can't break the game by uh, breaking the speed force, <laughs> but you know. We've got to play fair to some extent. Uh, uh, But yes, so Scion Origin and Hero for this edition. Uh, I'm I'm going to be candid. I have heard some people say, uh, some people have expressed to me that they want to start play immediately with Hero. That they see Origin as a very useful rules book because it has the larger part of the system in it. Uh, but they aren't attracted to playing Origin-level characters. Uh, I have other people, of course. Uh, I've got one of my gaming groups, in fact, has been playing an Origin-level game for quite some time because they like just playing characters with that edge, to to use a loaded term given the game, mm-hmm. um, of, of power over the rank-and-file mortals. So I put to you, Hiromi, and ask you, what is the attraction to you of playing, running, Origin-level Scion? So, for me, I I think that uh, Origin does a better job of certain genres uh, than uh, other tiers of Scion. So, for example, if you wanted uh, a sense of danger, if you wanted a sense of more of like a uh, police procedural, mm-hmm. I think both of those work exceptionally well at an origin because if you're at uh hero heroic tier or above then 
some of the uh, investigation scenes just boil down to, well, I, I use my, I use a boon or an ack or both and uh, problem solved. Whereas if you only have one boon to use mm. and it doesn't even necessarily apply to this scene, now you have to actually put in the work. You, you have to actually go from witness to witness from uh, the CSIs. Alternatively, if we're talking a horror game, now you have to run from the thing mm. because if you're, if you're playing at origin tier, not, not only do you not have a whole lot of defense. So like from a mechanical standpoint, you probably shouldn't be doing a ton of fighting from a roleplay perspective. You're a regular fucking person. If a monster kicks down that door and you don't run, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. So I think masks of the mythos as an origin uh, setting, holy shit. Like masks has huge potential uh, for all kinds of fun. And you can have stories that are fantastic at any tier in it. But I think that it is exceptionally good as an origin uh, tier setting because you can't rely on your tie to uh, gods. You can't rely on your uh, ties to like mythos beings. Like, oh, absolutely not in that game. <laughs> you, you are just screwed from mm. beginning to end. And every day you survive is a victory. And you will appreciate that victory because it's so fucking, it's so fucking scary, or at least it has the potential to be that way. Mm. So while origin level is technically a uh, mechanical element, I honestly think that it serves as a generic constraint better than it does really anything else. Because like anytime that you think, well, a superhero would be able to fix this, but I'm not a superhero. All of a sudden you're playing a different game. Mm. And if that's the game that you want to play, you're going to have a fucking blast. If on the other hand, you want to be a superhero and you want to throw cars at people. Well, then you probably want to play hero or, or demigod. It always comes down to throwing cars. doesn't it? <laughs> not not just mean... with you, Hiromi. I'm not just pointing a finger and saying it's always throwing cars with you. I mean, <laughs> there is, is <laughs> there is a book on it <laughs> yes i know <laughs> I, I believe it's one of our scion tasty bits it is yeah i am slightly disappointed that uh the name autocracy didn't keep uh. <laughs> <laughs> i yeah the group i know that are, have been playing origin for quite some time they are playing as a high school role-playing mm. game uh, which nice. I think is a perfectly natural fit. There's there's mm -hmm. a lot of games like that, Monster Hearts, Smallville, uh, some of the better known and, and better written ones. Uh, but I think what this group particularly enjoys about Scion Origin, uh, why they love playing it and they've just sort of fallen for their characters and their journeys, both mundane and supernatural, mm -hmm. is the scope for advancement uh the the sort of that watershed moment of what happens when on the prom night 
because <laughs> they they have been building it up with the story guy that when that happens, when term finally ends and it's time to graduate, their characters are going to receive their visitations or very close to it. But can they make it that long? Uh, so the yeah the threats they are encountering are sometimes utterly trivial but important to teen characters origin level characters uh, and also sometimes utterly diabolical um, in that sort of Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of a way and and I agree with you I think uh, and especially through the prism of Mask of the Mythos excellent uh, to to raise that because that game has a feeling of you can in theory exist in the world of Masters of the Mythos quite safely, blithely ignorant and, and go on about your business. But as soon as you open the door to the myriad of horrors on the other side of it, they're not going to stop pouring out. Even if you put a lock on that door, they're just going to squeeze underneath the frame and they will keep coming for you because you've seen (laughs) what you're not supposed to see. And while you may want to forget them, they certainly won't forget you. And uh, it, it puts a whole new aspect or angle on the idea of visitation, the idea of now you've come into your power. Uh, in in origin and hero, uh, it feels very much like well, this is an awakening. This is a a grand moment for me. In Mask of the Mythos, it's oh no, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what can I wind back the clock, please? But speaking speaking of awakenings, you know, uh, something we were chatting about briefly before we started recording was, uh, from my view as a developer of role-playing games, there's it sometimes feels that there's a lot in common between working on Scion and Mage the Ascension. Yeah. And in in a sense, it's because, uh, well, it something where it differs is Mage has a, an incredibly expansive meta plot, and Scion doesn't. Um, but what both games do have is... Well, they both touch dozens of real-world cultures mm-hmm. to, um, you know, and our writers, gods love them, uh, do their best to do so in an informative, sensitive, and where possible accurate way, whilst also knowing that both these games are fundamentally urban fantasy and there needs to be room for... Oh, for players and story guides to expand these myths to to fit into the shell of a game. Um, but there are also challenges with working on both these games. Uh, you know, there are big challenges to writers and developers when trying to knit it all together. As mm-hmm. someone who I don't think there's anyone, and do correct me if I'm wrong, who has worked on as many Scion and Mage books as you. That might be true. Uh... <laughs> now that may, I, I may be forgetting some of the authors from first edition Scion, but I believe that is the case. And so I'm going. I'm asking you: Do you feel that way? Do you feel there are similarities between these games? Same, some of the same challenges with working on them. I think that's eight Scion books uh, that people know of. Oh wait, no, no. At least at least nine that people know of. 
Okay, so in in sense in the sense of a like for like, it it probably is the case. So yes, uh, so what do you think? Am I completely off base, or do you think there are similarities there? I think there's definitely similarities. Uh, I think that it is very interesting kind of uh, comparing them along those lines uh, in terms of like uh, touching on multiple cultures and then having in in mage's case uh, both meta plot existing lo- well I don't I don't know why I said both <laughs> existing existing uh, lore meta plot and then real world <coughs> culture and information that needs to fit back into uh mage canon um so just like as a quick aside uh that was one of the things that i did with um lore of the traditions because uh until me i don't think that the akashiana had an asian writer and i had a lot to say yeah (laughs) and and so like that was like an, an instance where there's a meta plot there's also existing lore and then there's real world information that if the writers had had in earlier editions, they wouldn't have written the Akashiana the way that they did. Mm. Uh, and so I kind of uh, retconned stuff to make it make more sense uh, for both uh, the present, uh, the present day and the culture that would have been existing the whole time. Yeah. So that's kind of a unique, well, the, the, the problem is not unique to mage. However, it's something that Scion doesn't share in that regard. However, the cultural aspect of the Scion, there's no bottom to it with, with mage. You eventually run out of books. You, you eventually go, well, that is all of the lore that exists for mage for well for the ascension or for uh awakening like it you eventually ran out of books and like that's that's all that's written and if once you have all of it you are an authority you can't do that with scion (laughs) uh you can know everything that exists in a scion book but there's always more uh folklore and myth and legends like even if you owned all of the books on a culture's folklore you still wouldn't have all of the folklore mm. because it's not all written down and it's not all written down and it's not all necessarily written down on a language that you understand. And certainly so, not all on the internet. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh no. There's so much information out there uh, that you just cannot get um, uh, digitally uh, and is even like a struggle to get in print form. Like, uh, after I received a large uh, windfall from doing uh, work on um, uh, Magic the Gathering, I treated myself to an expensive out-of-print Japanese book. <laughs> uh, because, like, no, like, you couldn't even, like, no one outside of universities in the U.S. had it. Like, it, you had to buy it from uh boutique booksellers in japan like yeah um and like that's just one example of like saying millions 
feels like hyperbole, even though I know that it's probably accurate. There are probably millions of books out there that you just can't get your hands on for whatever reason. I think that gets me to something that I find uh, helpful for uh, both players and uh, story guides is that there's tons of information out there that's either inaccessible or very hard to access. However, there's also a fair amount of resources out there that because uh, people out there, uh, especially uh, 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 folklorists, they recognize it's hard to get this information. And if it's old enough, it's public domain, and they will stick it on uh, Project Gutenberg mm. or a similar um, public domain website where they're just like, here, here's all the old books we have. Fucking take them. Please take them. And the folklore information for a lot of those is really hard to find information on otherwise. You do have to read them carefully because it it matters very much who is the one telling the story. So, for example, if you are reading... Uh, I'm going to pick an example that's kind of random, but is actually true. Uh, or rather, I've, I've encountered it. Okay. If you're reading a book about uh, the uh, mythology and religion of the Fijians, the, so the people of Fiji, uh, written by uh, Jesuit scholars, mm -hmm. be, be prepared for the uh, Jesuits to make a lot of really horrible comparisons. Yeah, you can kind of anticipate a certain amount of bias when it comes to, uh, well, not, not not just picking on the Jesuits, but the missionaries in in general that visited the islands uh, weren't weren't known for their sympathetic approach to uh, the the stories of the people they encountered. Mm -hmm. Like, I I greatly appreciate that they did the research. Uh, I I hate how they did it, but in in a lot of cases. No one, no one has records that old except them. Yeah. Like, they're horribly biased. They are calling entirely too many gods uh, Satan. Like, they're just way too many. Mm. <laughs> they, they'll call any god that happens <laughs> to be even slightly sinister Satan for, like, no fucking reason. Yeah. But they also detail a lot of cultural practices and uh, information out there that it's just really hard to get. And like that's for mm, relatively hard to research uh, cultures out there. Uh, other cultures are much easier to find stuff on. So like the Theoi, uh, the Western world is inundated with Greek mythology. It is incredibly easy to find resources out there it's also incredibly easy to find really weird versions of those myths which is fun in scion because if people are used to hearing a specific version of a tale and you hit them with a different version of it they understand enough to know what's happening yeah but not enough that they're going to see the twists coming and as a storyteller that's fucking fantastic <laughs> It's something that uh, the TV show of American Gods, uh, may it rest in peace. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that it was in the novel. The uh, 
part where Shadow encounters the uh, 36 or so Jesuses. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really interesting approach to mythology and religion, because it, although it's done as something of a throwaway joke in the TV show, it's also interesting that you get a glimpse of the many different cultures' view of what Jesus should look like and how he should behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, were, were I to approach it, I would probably have a an incredibly evangelical Christ there who's all fire and brimstone, along with the incredibly uh, almost meek and charitable uh, Christ and so on and so forth, and you know, running the gamut of ethnicities and 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 names as well. You'd have your Joshuas in there too. But what they don't do as much in American Gods, but I think is could have been really informative for Sion in the same way as you're describing, is doing that with the uh, the polytheistic uh, myths. Mm-hmm. So having multiple Odins, having multiple Zeus, Jupiter, and such like. The, the same god or the same myth through different paradigms and how they interact with each other. Because what's wonderful about the world in, in Scion is feasibly any of these could exist. Or in the history of your game, any of these could have been absorbed or destroyed or imprisoned by the god that is now standing. And in fact, um, not only can they, um, by default, they all do. Yeah. Uh, so the sort of favorite phrase of uh, Scion is that uh, all myths are true. Mm. And so when we're talking about the various uh, versions of Zeus or anyone, they they all at least did exist at some point. Uh, yeah. Whether or not they exist now is kind of up to your your table, but uh, they're they're all available for you to do something with. <laughs> well, let's talk a little about uh, Hero and Demigod, if we can, because I guess the common perception is that Hero is the, if not the base level, it's the view most people have of Scion, because in first edition it was the first book, Mm-hmm. And in second edition, it's where you really start ga- gaining access to funky powers. I know it's a rather broad question, but if you were to run a game of Hero, as if you haven't been, um, <laughs> what for you are some of the pillars you like to put in place to make players feel comfortable uh, and also immersed in in a game of hero to make it feel like Scion and not just, I guess, any other thing. So one of the things uh, that I really like doing, especially for hero, uh, for hero tier, is that there's always the assumption that like the world is bigger. It's more not necessarily exciting than our world, but it is. Uh, more epic, not necess- and I don't mean epic just as in a an adjective that people throw on movies and whatnot, but like in in the 
real literary sense, the sense that like this is something that is beyond what people experience. This is beyond what um, mortals are are generally privy to, and sort of feeding into that, I think, is very essential to ensuring that Scion, especially at a hero level, feels different, that it's giving you something that you would have problems finding in another game. You can, of course, make any game do anything if you try hard enough, but with with Hero, there's the sense that you are still human in that you still interact with other mortals, you still have friends, you still have family members, you still want to succeed, you still want humanity to succeed, but you yourself are not quite a human anymore. You yeah. have been growing in power and ability, and you are now something more. And because of that, I really like mixing in things that sort of take things to a weird place. Like in the game that I'm running, uh, just like last uh, session, the band uh, went to a house. They went to a mansion and that's the garden is full of plants. Uh, and that's, that's not <laughs> unusual. It's a little unusual that it's Boston and all of the plants there are from Sri Lanka, which does not have a climate that most people would say feels the same. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and when they get to the house, they can see, like, they went up a long winding uh, driveway to get there. So they have an idea of how deep the house is supposed to be. And when they open the door, it's like three times deeper. Yeah. And this is the stuff that it doesn't exist in rules. It doesn't exist as, like, mechanical elements of the game. However, these are things that exist as parts of the world where... So some things are mythic and supernatural and leading hard on the fantasy part of urban fantasy. Mm. And unlike Mage, where all of this weird shit, not only do you have to justify it, you have to justify why Paradox doesn't kick your shit in. In Scion, it can just be there. Like, what, why, why does this uh, house have a door that leads to Hong Kong and a different door that leads to Paris. And the reason is it's a strange place. What do you mean strange place? Capital S, capital P. It's a strange place. Don't try to figure it out. There's a nexus of like four different myths here. Don't try to untangle them. It might blow up in your face and we do not know what kind of explosion it's going to make. So don't mess with it. Well, for me, that's one of the most interesting parts of hero because it, it's very easy to approach hero from a i guess a an incredibly optimistic viewpoint you have mm -hmm. the potential for great power ahead of you mm -hmm. uh you have in theory a a patron uh who is who has your back at times or may demand things of you at others Mm -hmm. uh, or may resent you as a threat, <laughs> um, but you know it, there's there's a gr great deal of scope for positive adventure. But I think there is also what you've just uh, alluded to there, 
there is still an awful lot of unknown. Uh, the these mysteries, these strange places, the the various underworlds, where you should you kind of at that level have to leave it be it's it's i guess the old door in the dungeon or the door in the call of cthulhu or mask of the mythos game where you know there's something strange on the other side of this and you are going to agonize now over whether to open it or whether to ignore it because its very existence implies something greater than you uh, whether that's something that has happened historically, uh, far in the past, that you could never hope to understand, so it is just an anomaly, or whether it is something that has occurred recently that implies a creature of great power or a god has, has sent an incarnation to this spot and has pretty much rewoven the fundaments of your of this geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this is possible. Which means that while your characters feel powerful, there is still something greater and more threatening and mysterious that you can choose to probe into, or you can try and live your best life and <laughs> and not trouble forces <laughs> uh, more dangerous than you. Yeah, like I think a really good way for me to think of, or for people in general to think of, the distinction between. Uh, origin and hero is that with origin if you recognize that there's something supernatural behind that door you probably don't want to mess with it you probably want to leave it alone as a hero to your character you can survive weirdness you might not like it you might not have a good time well fate is probably pulling you back toward that door as well (laughs) so even if you decide you know what I'm not ready for this you are going to for some reason or other find yourself back there in the next few days or weeks at some point you will be forced with this question again and when you are maybe it will be a worse time than if you had tackled it the first time this is the kind of thing that uh that stories are made of uh, the, I guess that the parables mentioned before it's uh, to, to use a popular Christian one, the uh, what is it? Three boats and a helicopter man, man uh, is trapped on the roof of his house while the street is flooded beside him. And a uh, he's a Christian man and the boat comes a uh, lifeguard, essentially, or what have you, says, mm-hmm. jump into my boat. And the man says, I'm uh, waiting I'm waiting for God to save me. I've been praying, praying, praying. And so the person in the boat sails off to save someone else. Another mm-hmm. boat comes along. A day later, the man is weaker, makes the same offer. He says, I'm, st- I'm waiting for God to save me. Third boat, same deal. Finally, a helicopter comes and says... We're, we're Christians too, says the helicopter pilots. Here, this is the ladder. Climb up. We'll save you. He says, uh, my faith is being tested. I will not accept the salvation of my fellow man. I am waiting for God to save me, God himself. And so the helicopter flies off as well, and inevitably the man dies. He goes up to heaven, and um, the and God says, why how did this come to be? And the man says, I was waiting for you to save me. And he says, I sent you three boats and a helicopter. He had four incar like God created four <laughs> incarnations. Yeah. Sent him down there. God spent so much legend trying to <laughs> rescue that guy. What an ungrateful 
sod. But but the point is that in even in a game of Scion, you can have uh, that kind of quandary, uh, especially at hero level. I find where your character is going to feel like we're powerful, but we're not quite powerful enough. So how many times are we going to slap away this hand that may be offering us more? But with, of course, threat that comes with it. Uh, your your scions aren't going to grow to become demigods unless they embrace the danger that is inherent in their, their being. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to embark upon a journey. They have to embark upon a quest, if you like. But you are sometimes going to feel like, I'm not ready yet. And at some point, the that wall is going to come tumbling down and you're not going to have a choice and if you've spent your life running from it, uh, you may be caught on the back foot to use other such pleasant turns of phrase. Episode one of this two-parter, unexpected two-parter, has now Surprise! Yes, I know, and we're recording this somewhat after the fact. Hiromi, if anyone would like to find you on social media, where should they go? Uh, they should go to TikTok or Twitter, uh, at uh, Hiromi Koda. Uh, you can also find uh, all my stuff at my website, uh, Um I'll probably have updated my website with uh, all of my uh, current books and games that are available uh, by the time this comes out. Uh, no promises, though. I, I do have a lot of stuff that I'm doing. And they will find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP, on Discord, uh, on the Onyx Path Discord in particular, and they can find my many works, ye mighty, uh, on MatthewDawkins.com. Many worlds, one path.